from Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of the Lord. On Tuesday, June 13th, after a two-day drive, Maggie and I arrived in the motel in which we were staying in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a few days in advance of the wedding of her son, Daniel. When we awoke the next day, I received a text from Casey referring to reaching out to Amy, but I didn't see the originating text, so I didn't have a context. Within seconds, my son called from Florida to see if I was working out at the Y when the shooting occurred. We quickly turned on the TV and followed the events the remainder of the day and week. Like most of you, we in this town feel a special connection when a national event is our local news. I work out at the Alexandria Y three mornings a week. Those of us in this church who do so form something of a club, even as we seek to improve our bodies while hiding them from our fellow congregants. (laughs) The Radford family is there nearly every day, as is Jack Turner. I see Dan Tomlinson walking his dog when I take the spinning class at 6 a.m., I see Ken Neiman across the hall pummeling his body to music louder than either of us should be listening to. If I go later in the morning, I may see Susan Griffith receiving instruction from a trainer named Larry whose physical fitness is a reminder of why this Larry needs to be there. I've seen Julie Kennedy very early. On one Saturday morning alone, I saw Mark Pollock walking one of his sons to their car after coaching the Little League game. Caroline Jackson bring her daughters into the lobby. And John Frazier await his daughter from finishing her swimming lessons. If I have left you out, count yourselves among the blessed. In a conversation with John Runyon I had after I was back in town, I decided, like many members of the Y, that I had noticed but not noticed the man who for several months made its lobby his final home. This was indeed close to home for all of us. 
And like you, I am grateful for the heroism of Capitol Police who were already on site. Those on the field who helped the victims to cover. And the Alexandria Police and EMT who arrived within three minutes. All of whom helped contain what could have easily become a much more significant national and personal loss than it was, though it was significant. As a pastor, it is trying to be away from your town and congregation when something like this happens. Though I was proud to follow the response that Casey, who was the only one of us here that day, offered in opening the chapel for prayer and then in leading worship following the the following Sunday, in a way that expressed the poignancy and the sadness of what all of us were feeling. The text I have chosen for this weekend is one in which I will vary from the lectionary, one of few in which I will vary from the lectionary in this series on Genesis and Exodus. But as we share in our nation's 241st year of independence, the dynamics of this text concerning the relationship between the people of Israel and their leader, Moses, can, I believe, add a bit of wisdom to the dynamics of what it means in our time to be a part of the people called the United States of America. I offer these comments neither as law, prescription, nor even really opinion. But as perhaps a bit of wisdom gleaned from a particular moment in the history of the people of God, who were not quite as far along in their development as a nation as we are in our nation today, but a people with whom we may have more in common than at first we think. Let us pray. May God grant me to speak with judgment and to have thoughts of what I have received. For God is the guide even of wisdom and the corrector of the wise. For both we and our words are in God's hand, as are all understanding and skill. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The lead up to our scripture is this. The people of Israel have been in existence about 500 years since the time God called Abraham and Sarah and promised them land, descendants, and a blessing that they would pass on to all the nations of the world. In the years since that call, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah have become numerous. The land is still a generation away from their possession, and blessing has been more wrestled with than appropriated and passed on. They have instituted and celebrated Passover. Moses has recently led the people of Israel out of 400 years of slavery across the Red Sea and into the land of Canaan. They have received the law culminating in the Ten Commandments, which has formed a major part of their national and religious identity, which in their culture is more fused than in ours. Yet a few years removed from slavery, 
they still find themselves wandering in the wilderness of the desert. Ironically, because they are restless, they begin to look back to the security of slavery where at least they had three meals a day rather than look forward to the unknowns of freedom. They complained to Moses and his brother Aaron about the quality and quantity or lack thereof of food and water in the wilderness, even though God has been providing on a daily basis manna from heaven, from which we get our phrase, our daily bread. Hearing and sensing complaint from the grassroots, Moses and Aaron become exhausted. And Moses takes the matter to God in prayer. I am not able to carry this people alone, he says. They are too heavy for me. This is the point at which our text opens. God tells Moses, Gather for me 70 elders of the people of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them outside the camp into the tent of meeting. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will put it on these 70 elders. They shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not have to bear it all by yourself. Moses does as God commands. God comes down and speaks to the 70 in the tent. God takes some of the spirit that's on Moses and places it among these 70. When the spirit rests upon these 70, they receive the gift of prophecy. And it is a gift that they exercise in their governance and leadership of the nation. A movement towards shared leadership has begun. Now, whenever we seek to draw parallels between the Old and New Testament and our time, we must recognize major differences. In the formation of the people of Israel, there was nothing like what we would call separation of church and state. The faith of Israel and the shape of their governance were linked. Thus, for civic leaders to be given the gift of religious prophecy would not be the source of discomfort that it might be for us. But what I think is parallel is that the gift of prophecy to these chosen leaders is the gift they need to lead, the skill they need to exercise their responsibility as the leaders of their developing nation. So in that sense... The relationship between these leaders and the people they lead may teach us several things as we continue to define the relationship between leader and people within our own democracy. I want to briefly mention four things that I think this text teaches us about the relationship between leader and people. First, we learn from this text that leadership is best when it is shared. 
for the voice of the people to be heard and for the leaders to carry out their responsibility, leadership had to be shared within the people of Israel. From Moses to Aaron to Miriam to the 70, leadership is shared and the nation begins to move forward. Second, we learn from this text that leadership is best when it is trusted. God says to Moses, gather for me 70 whom you know to be elders and officers. The leaders that God instructs Moses to choose are to come from among the people who are already existing leadership within the tribe, people who are recognized and experienced as leaders. The seeds of trust are sown. Third, God instructs Moses to provide these leaders and the people they lead with structure. The number of elders is initially set at 70. They are taken outside the camp to the tent of meeting where they have a place and a space to deliberate and make their decisions about governing. When two additional elders who are not among the original 70, Eldad and Medad, are found to to have this similar gift of prophecy, Moses invites these two into the tent of meeting against the advice of his nervous advisors. But, but invited into the tent, Eldad and Medad become a part of the structure. And fourth, God equips all of these leaders with the gifts they need to govern. Namely, the spirit of prophecy that Moses has already displayed. It is only because Eldad and Medad have been equipped with this same spirit that they are invited in to share the leadership. Thus, from this text, I think we can legitimately derive that leadership is shared, trusted, structured, and gifted. When it is these four things, it goes a long way toward making the relationship between leaders and people constructive. This was true for the people of Israel. I believe it is true for us as well as we continue to shape the democratic society in which we live. I want to share with you next some conclusions that I drew from this text in writing a paper on it for the Movable Feast Preaching Seminar that I attended and attend each January. And then I want to close with a pastoral note about our congregation. In January, I wrote, Democracy is rarely pretty. What ends in this text as an orderly sharing of power, of responsibility and gift beyond the one leader Moses 
begins as an uprising of complaint from what the text calls the rabble. The eruption of complaint is real. It is rarely articulated with the smoothness of language that is ordinarily found in leaders such as Aaron and to a lesser extent Moses. Complaint is often more about perception than facts as the people of Israel were in fact receiving manna from God every day even though they complained that they weren't. But ultimately, because under the leadership of Moses, the complaint is taken seriously, both the leaders and the people of Israel mature. And several generations later, they enter the promised land. I also wrote in January that as responsive as Moses and ultimately God are to this uprising of complaint, the solution does not ultimately involve turning all power and authority and decision-making over to those who first raise their voice in complaint. Rather, in response to Moses' prayer and the people's complaint, God institutes an orderly sense of governance by which Moses is to lead the people of Israel. While the changes involve great strides in sharing power, all power is not shared with all people all of the time. Power is diffused within the people of Israel. It is given structure. It is exercised by appropriately gifted people whose number is first set at 70 and then expanded to 72. Power is not given free reign to find its own bearers and expressions. Israel will be governed in an orderly capacity. It is not a town hall. I also wrote in January that Moses remains a constant in Israel from the time God calls him through the burning bush to lead the people of Israel out of slavery until the time he turns the reins of leadership over to Joshua that Joshua might lead the people into the promised land. But there are other leaders during this period who come and go who make their contribution and then meld back into the general population. Many of these leaders have their 15 minutes of prophecy. A few lead for longer periods. The initial 70 are given the Spirit in an ecstatic moment. They prophesy. But then the text says they do not do so Again, throughout Israel's history, leaders play their part and then they exit, presumably with a sense of pride and a sense of humility. And they pass the responsibility of leadership on to others. 
Even Moses, who leads the people for many years, does not himself enter the promised land, but passes the leadership on to Joshua. Yet of Moses, the text says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. This leads me to close the sermon on an affirming and complimentary note. In the 13 years that I have been your pastor, I have come to know and observe many of you who work directly or indirectly in service to our nation. Some are military or retired officers or spouses some of whom I've had the privilege of burying in Arlington National Cemetery. Some are elected officials, local or national, appointed officials, civil servants, diplomats, intelligence officers, congressional staff. Some of you are lobbyists, lawyers, campaign consultants, pollsters, journalists, analysts in think tanks or universities. And some of you work for defense contractors, trade associations, non-governmental agencies seeking to bring relief and development to this country and around the world. And some of you are family to these. Now it may be that I am a terrible judge of character. I'll grant that at the outset. But what I have experienced among nearly all of you is a sense of humility about what you do. Nearly to a person, I experience you as humble. I have told several people that members of Westminster work for household names and don't want to be one. It may be that it is your humility, even more than your brains or your talent, through which you make the greatest contribution to our nation's welfare. As you are involved in shared leadership, trust, structure, and the use of appropriate gifts in serving our nation, what I most appreciate about you is your humility. Amen.